Hi, this is LGBTQ and A, where we get to know different members of the LGBTQ community. I'm Jeffrey Masters, and I'm here today with Laura Jane Grace. Laura is the lead singer of the punk rock band Against Me, and also has a new memoir out. Stay tuned. Hey, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. I'm excited to talk. Me too. Can I preface this real quick, though, by saying I came directly from LAX and I woke up at seven o'clock this morning to get on a plane, so I need a shower and I kind of maybe look like I got hit by a bus. But other than that, I'm ready to go and glad to be here. We're far enough away. I can't smell okay, you. Good. You Breathe look great. Your mouth. Your mouth. It's okay. <laughs> I mean, you have a new book out. You have a new album out. You're on tour. Is that it? Yeah. Oh, oh yes. <laughs> Yeah, that, I guess that's it. Um, yeah. Are you tired? <laughs> a little bit, but I've kind of passed that point of being tired where that's just like status quo. I'm, totally. I'm used to operating with little to no sleep, so it's fine. Yeah, you have a lot of endurance. I was reading the book. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, it, it was very impressive. Like you kind of lived the like rock star lifestyle that I imagine, like staying out late and drinking and doing drugs and not sleeping. Um, I mean, like, were, how did you sustain that and perform every night? Um, geez, I don't know. I mean, I am here. I'm alive to tell the tale, right? Um, part of it's being young, I think, you know, um, but all of that is like, I mean, a lot of it's cliches. It's like, that's part of the music industry or that's part of being in a band, you know, yeah. and, 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 uh, it's just par for the chorus. I mean, it was kind of like the stereotypical, like, story, too. Mm -hmm. I mean, not with a transition. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Sans the gender dysphoria part. Yeah. yeah. The small, small things. Right. Um, but, like, like vocal-wise, did you ever, like, lose your voice on tour? Well, see, like, I, you know, I, I've, I've had people ask me about that a lot over the years. Like, specifically, you know, from our, like, first second to our, first record to our second record to our third, people being like, oh, your voice changed or whatever. And it's like, well, yeah, you know, like, coming into this, I didn't know how to sing. Like, for me, that was, like, the appeal of punk rock. It was like you don't know how to you don't need to know how to do this you can just get in front of a microphone and yell and so at first that was enough but then you start going on tour and you're playing like 200 plus shows a year and you realize like oh I kind of need to learn how to do this so I'm not destroying my voice um so you just learn over time but also if you're playing that many shows per year like your voice changes and does things like you just have no control over wow did your voice change again once you went on hormones no it doesn't work like that really no uh-uh Oh, okay. Yeah. I thought... <laughs> just just um, doesn't work like that. Yeah. Oh, I didn't know that. <laughs> yeah. Okay. And that's all, like, all the hormones just don't, in general, affect your vocal cords uh, at all? I, I know t testosterone affects your vo vocal cords, but estrogen doesn't affect your vocal cords, no. Oh, thank you for that clarification. Yeah, no worries. Are there many women or queer people in punk music? Are there... Yeah. In, yeah, for really? sure. Yeah. Uh-huh. Okay, cool. Yeah. Just all, like, <laughs> the punk bands that I can, like, think of all have, like, a male lead singer, and he's straight. I mean, there is like a, you know, a good, a good chunk of it is that, you know, but I mean, like, what about Riot Girl? you know, Bikini Kill, Huggy Bear, Team Dresh. Um, I mean, yeah. like the bands that I got into specifically too, with like, um, late seventies, early eighties, anarchist peace punk scene coming out of the UK, you know, that was like, had real strong female representation with like Poison Girls or, or Crass even, you know? Yeah. Um, it was always part of it. Gotcha. I just, um, I went on a road trip this summer and my friend is a really big punk fan, emo fan. And I was shocked, to be honest, like how much I love the music, just getting into it. But um, it was all like male-led bands. Yeah. I mean, there's there's a lot of that. Yeah, sure. Totally. Yeah. Um, also, I thought it was so curious in your book um, and interesting that you didn't 
like hide your gender in like the songs and the lyrics you're writing. Mm-hmm. I thought that was fascinating. I also wonder if that was like helpful for people to see just like this paper trail of here she is. She's been processing it for so long. I think afterwards it dawned on people more so, you know, but like at first, cause I've always turned to writing as like a cathartic outlet, you know? Um, so every against me record has songs that are just me working out what's going on in my head. And at first I felt like I really had to like veil that in metaphor And then after a while, you know, maybe it was like my subconscious pushing me towards like seeing how much I could get away with saying and then realizing no one was catching on after a while. It was just like, okay, well, you know, how blatant can I be? But no one, no one had ever said anything, you know? Fascinating. That's like the anarchist in you. Like, what can I get away with? (laughs) Do you, um, it's like anarchy and like nihilism was such a big part of in the book, why you said you like were attracted to punk music. Is that... Are you still as connected to punk music from those standpoints? Well, there's a real distinction that should be made between anarchism and nihilism. You know, uh, nihilism was definitely what attracted me to punk rock first. You know, the whole live fast, die young thing, and especially living in South Florida at the time, and I really never thought I would escape South Florida. Um, But I I, um, I had a politicizing moment when I was like 14, 15 years old. I got arrested, beat up by the cops, um, charged with battery on an officer resisting arrest with violence and got stuck in the court system for years and uh, that really opened my eyes to politics and specifically anarchist politics and you know anarchism as a philosophy isn't just like you know about destruction or chaos or anything like that you know it's really about thinking for yourself questioning authority um and and you know no gods no masters yeah, I, I was surprised too that like it wasn't just like throwing around the word anarchy. It like 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 as you just explained now, like you knew what it meant. You knew what you were fighting for. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I I couldn't have def- defined anarchy, you know, or even nihilism. Right. Well, I mean, you know, there are definitely many brilliant anarchist writers out there. I used to read a lot of Emma Goldman uh, specifically, um, and and the Florida radical activist scene was something I got involved in at a young age through some through uh, doing Food Not Bombs, which was you know about taking reclaimed food and, and serving it to the homeless, um, and and through there you know just got organized with other activists, and we used to meet up regularly regularly organize things like May Day parades, youth liberation conferences. Uh, road trips to various protests. This is all around like late 90s, 1990s uh, WTO riots and, and, and things like that. Um, but I was, you know, very interested in that scene. Totally. I, and I thought too, in, like when you were growing up, you want, you had this dream, you wanted to be, to lead like a band. And it's be always a been what I wanted to do. Yeah. Um, uh-huh. But it seemed like in the book, you had that dream before you even started playing guitar or sure yeah. before you even knew if you had the talent or skill. Sure. I just, I never, like, never had any other ambition to do anything other than be a musician and be in a band, you know? I just knew from a very early age. And really, like, you know, I had a moment, my earliest moment of self-identification was seeing Madonna on screen and being like, I want to be that. I want to be her when I grow up. Um, But I, you know, I saved up money mowing lawns to get my first guitar when I was eight years old. And just, I just always knew this is what I want to do. Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah, it's just so like lucky in your situation that you like had the dot, uh, the talent to like match a desire. <laughs> well, again, that was what was appealing about punk rock. It was like, oh, I don't need talent. I can just fake it, or I can just scream, or I, you know, I I got three chords together. I can start a band. If, but I would I would like challenge you that like your, like your songwriting is like a little bit more than just like just nothing well thanks i you know but i i attribute that to, to work you know hard work and and yeah. putting in the hours of writing you know do you know when you've written a great song um 
I, I really think like every artist is filled with self-doubt to a point, you know, where you, you write something and you're like, oh, it's crap. It's no good. Um, so I still definitely have those moments. But but it's really more about like when a song's easy and when it comes to you instantly and you don't have to work for it. Those are the really like gratifying moments. Oh, I love that. Do you have like a, an example from like the last album? Um, well, the most recent album, Shapeshift With Me, which came out in September, like was probably the easiest against me re- record to write just specifically because I was working on the book. So usually in the past, like the pressure was always on songwriting. And because now the pressure was on writing a book, songwriting became my like procrastination tool where it was like, okay, my editor wants a chapter and do at the end of the week, but maybe I'll pick up my guitar instead and write a song. And it really just like, you know, so much about the book was reflecting on the past songwriting just became about like how do I feel right now immediate like I just want to capture right now this instant and I don't want to overthink it maybe I got a crush on someone I'll just write a dumb song about having a crush but that was that that was really satisfying you know that's so valuable to learn mm-hmm. wow uh speak in the book we gotta talk about the title <laughs> okay yeah um mm-hmm. it the title is it's the the t-word it's mm-hmm. it's tranny um before I, I read it I thought you were gonna be like advocating for a, a positive usage yeah. of the word but it's very much the opposite i i don't like the word you know i i um the honestly like in ways like talking about or doing the book tour is more draining because of the title of the book and having to hear it so much and look at it like so many pictures of my face with the word tranny above it it's like awesome um but it's it's a complicated word you know we, we were talking about kate bornstein before this uh we started filming and I just did a pa- panel with Kate Bornstein in Miami, and, and she was talking about the word with me and, you know, explaining the history of the word to me. And, and she was saying that it was a word coined by Australian trans women who came over and just like, you know, Australians have a tendency to shorten words. Barbecue becomes Barbie. Um, transsexual became tranny. Um But at the same time, I know that it's a word most often used in hate now, you know, and, and uh, I... It's it's a complicated word, yeah. you know, but must, must, a lot of my book is about self-loathing and self-hatred and internalized transphobia. So in that way, it's a fitting title, you know, and, and I like challenging words, too. I like I, I like that it hopefully makes you think. Yeah. And speaking of Kate Bornstein, it's the word that she says, like, she most identifies with. It's how she describes herself. And um, I know that's not your story, but it's like how she celebrates. Right. So there's so many different like meanings and like feelings. Well, what are you going to do in that situation, really? You know, where like that was a word that I I came out as trans when I was 30. Right. So it wasn't a word that I had much history with before that, other than knowing it as something that was derogatory. Right. So then you meet a trans person who's like, I identify with that word. And then you meet another trans person who's like, I hate that word. Your title of your book is disgusting. Never say that word around me. And you're just standing there like, I wrote a book and this is the title of the book. So where, where what side are you supposed to take? Which trans person are you supposed to side with in that instance? Um, again, it's a, it's a challenging word. And I think in discussion's important around it, you know, and, and, and different perspectives, perspectives are valid. But um, it, it's just, it's the title of my book, you know? And you're like, please judge me based on what's inside the book. Well, it's a cliche, but yeah, don't judge a book, a book by its cover. I mean, <laughs> or it's, title. Yeah, it's a cliche, but it's true. I mean, it, it kind of, like, I feel weird saying this, but it kind of irked me how freely other interviewers were able to, like, just name the book. You yeah, know? And just, like, say it? Yeah. 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 No, I mean, that's, like, really jarring sometimes, actually. Yeah, for sure. And, like... 
you know, the the marketing discussions that sometimes went on behind the scenes around the book, it was like, whoa, this is like way weird. Um, but yeah, because I was listening to other interviews and they're like, oh, the book's called this. And I was like, oh, like, are we using that word like f- so freely, especially non-members of the queer community? I mean, honestly, that's why it's like grading and it's tiring. And it's like, I'm doing like this radio interview and these like, you know, cishet people are throwing around the word tranny and it's like this is really disgusting to me and i don't want to do this anymore yeah but here i am um but yeah what i'm gonna do yeah and like who am i as a a non-trans person to tell you you can't use that word like how dare you yeah fascinating you like it's so different coming out publicly versus privately like is that a word that like you like heard a lot well that was the interesting thing too about it and i wrote a long column for for noisy i read a column called mandatory happiness for the website noisy and i i talk about the the title in that but you know i was so prepared for that word to be used against me for the first time as a slur right that i like spent a lot of mental prep time being like how will i react the first time this happens because i don't want to just immediately turn to like i'm gonna fucking beat you up um and the first time it was used towards me was by another trans person, just like jokingly referring or, you know, like to, no hate involved, just, you know, being like, oh, us two trannies or something like that. And it was really like stunning to me where it was like, wow, OK, this is not the context I expected this word to be used. Um, so, again, it's like it's a complicated word. Yeah, it's interesting too how words and like vocabularies change in our community so quickly. When you came out, it was as a transsexual. Mm-hmm. Uh, I feel like now, like the more like in vogue term is transgender. Right. Um, but transgender wasn't a term I even heard until I was like nineteen, twenty years old. You oh, know, really? I like trans. I mean, maybe that's just because it's short. And but I, I, I like. Maybe some people disagree with this, but oh well. Um, like I like that it sounds cool. You know, like it. Sh- it should be. You know, yeah. like people, especially for young people, it's important to have like a that part of you that's like, yeah, I'm, I'm fucking trans. Fuck it, you. It you also know? is like, like more encompassing too. Like mm-hmm. gender queer, like everything. Right. Uh, there's like the debate of like I'm gender queer. Am I transgender? It's like, I don't know. I'm not the authority on that, but like, just be trans. It is cool. You're right. You're the first person to ever say that <laughs> in my mind. Right on. You also uh, named uh, Julia Serrano in your book, did, uh, yeah. Whipping Girl. She uses transsexual. So I uh-huh. didn't know if you like got that from her. Well, transsexual sounds cool to me too. You know, like transsexual. That just sounds like, I don't know. It's got something to it. <laughs> I love that. Um, why did you decide to give up your surname completely? Um, I don't really remember the logic even. No, really? Um, I don't know. I just, I never, it never felt fitting to me. You know, I never identified with, with the name that was given to me at birth. It always just felt off. Really? Yeah. Okay. I, I love, like, Laura Jane is so demure. <laughs> like, juxtaposed next to this punk singer. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, that's a, Yeah. Okay, I just didn't know if there. That's not the answer I wanted about your last name. I wanted something more like heartfelt, but I'll take it. Right. I, I mean, it's my mother's maiden name, you know. Yeah. Um, so it's it's part of that. Okay. I don't know. For so long before you transitioned, you talked about her, and I think you even like talked out loud to her this like female side of you. Now, when you look in the mirror, do you like see her from before, or is it like is that a separate person? 
Um, I mean, a lot of that, again, was like, you know, talking about like not hearing the word transgender until I was like 19 or 20. So I spent a long time thinking like, maybe I'm schizophrenic. Maybe like I have these twin souls inside my body warring for control or something. I didn't understand, you know, like what was going on inside of me. So it was like searching for some kind of explanation. Oh, so that was your solution because you didn't have this other word yet. Right. Oh, that's fascinating. But, but was it always, did you ever think about what kind of woman you wanted to be? Or is it always just about being a woman? Um, not, you know, I mean, it's more just about being true to myself, you know, like I'll do these interviews sometimes or whatever. And like the people introing me will be like, you know, give this grand, like this strong woman type thing. And it's just like, I roll, like I would equally roll my eyes at that if someone was like this strong man like I just don't like representation like that I don't like being referred to in those terms I just want to like exist and be a human being you know and I'm trans I'm transgender you know what that means to me I become way more comfortable with but my understanding of gender and the way it works has continued to evolve thanks in part to coming out you know um and and meeting so many people who you know uh, along the spectrum um who identify in so many different ways. Um, I don't want to fit into a box. I don't want to obey societal norms. I don't, I'm fine if people don't understand me, you know? Yeah. I think that you've also, like, before you transitioned, you were still, like, true, quote-unquote, true to yourself. Like, I I would gander say your, like, fashion hasn't changed that much. Well, no, I mean, coming out as trans wasn't saying, like, I don't actually like the color black. (laughs) I was like, I still like the color black, Yeah, you know? (laughs) I'm still a punk. (laughs) But, like, pre-transition, you're still wearing, like, black jeans and, like, a black tank top. Yeah, well, I mean, part of that is I have a very strict philosophy of always dress uh, in an outfit you will be comfortable spending a night in jail in. And... um, also, black doesn't stain. So when you're traveling and you're like flying on planes, drinking coffee, whatever, like anytime I wear a white shirt, I've got like half an hour maybe before I get a stain on it. But black does not stain. It's purely functional. It is. You know, like when you travel that much, like I I go for like I'm blending in. I'm traveling in the airport. I do not want to be seen by people. Yeah. Headphones in. Don't talk to me. That has nothing to do with being trans, though. It has more of being, being a misanthrope. <laughs> so... <laughs> does your your home decor style does that kind of match this punk rock aesthetic too i'm i'm a minimalist i don't like having things i don't like um i i don't like existing in a way of fearing that i have things to lose and i don't like um just like having had to move so many times over my life i like to always ha- know that like okay if i have to move within like a couple days time I can move it all on my own without a moving company, you know, like, so not an over-encompassing amount of stuff. It's also somebody speaking who's toured so much. Sure. Yeah. That makes sense. Right now you're on tour with Green Day. Oh, well, in March we go out with you, Green In Day. March. Yeah, so yeah. You're starting tour. I'm on my book tour now. And then in December <laughs> we go to Europe for our own headlining tour. And then in March we go out with Green Day. Yeah. Is that just like completely wild since they were the first concert you ever went to? Yeah, totally. I, I mean, we played with them in 2005. We did Giant Stadium and we did Foxborough Stadium in Boston and a soccer stadium out here in LA that I forget the name of. Um, but... I mean, to play to to play a show with the first band you ever saw play is like one of those full circle moments yeah. that I, you know I'm I'm appreciative of. Do they know that? I don't know if they know that. Really? No. Yeah, I I know they know we're fans, you know, but I don't think they know that my first show was their band. Yeah. Okay. All right. If I toured with the first band I ever saw, it would be me and Lady Gaga. 
That'd be a great tour. So, so fingers crossed, Laura. Get your claws out. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. Um, trans people can experience a change in their sexuality when they transition. Did you have any experience with that? Um, you know, it's it's really like interesting dating as a trans person, being like open for the first time and going into that world, you know? Um, and yeah, like that's really essentially what I like wrote our last record about was that experience, you know? Cause I, I was in a relationship where I was like married for like seven, eight years. And then I came out of that for the first time as myself, you know, where I'm like, I'm trans now I'm open, you know, and, and, and now I'm dating and going in, like having historically dated women being like, okay, you know, finding yourself in a situation where you're wondering, like, is this person attracted to me because of like emerging femininity or fading masculinity? What do they see in me? And like experiencing things where you're like, okay, like, the dynamics that exist in relationships and power roles and stuff like that. Um, it's just like a way eye opening experience, you know? Yeah. Sounds like you are also like open to many possibilities. Is that right? I, yeah, I am. Mm-hmm. Okay. I, I think that's like a common thing when you're like, yes, gender and sexuality are like different, but they're like so intimately entwined. Sure. Mm-hmm. I, it was, yeah. I mean, <laughs> I don't know how much, like, I want to, you want to go into it, but, like, it was so fascinating to see what a sexual person you were, like, all through tours on life, and um, I don't know if that was, like, my own, like, perceptions going into it that were, like, wrong, but it just surprised me because um, it doesn't, like, match what I would have thought. Right. It's well, just such a vulnerable spot. I mean, I, you know, I have a very addictive personality, and um, when it came to, like, masking my dysphoria, I would turn to music, I would turn to drugs, and I would turn to sex. And those were, like, my coping mechanisms. Wow. And now you're just a single parent. Yep. <laughs> On the market. It's really, it's fun dating when you're a single parent who plays in a band who's trans. <laughs> Let me tell you. <laughs> and now i have this book that anyone i could ever potentially want to date could read beforehand (laughs) it's like the manual too (laughs) yeah (laughs) something like that (laughs) or is it does it feel different performing sober um no i mean you know like i i've also like you know with saying like that i've used drugs or alcohol as like a coping mechanism i've also been the type of person always where it's like okay if i need to sober up i can sober up and i could be like sober for nine months or sober for a year or sober for a year and a half, whatever. Um, and definitely like with shows, you know, I've had my touring years where I've been really wasted and I've had my touring years where I've been stone cold sober. Um, I prefer being sober for sure while playing a show, but it's always nice to have a drink after a show. Are you sober now? Um, at this moment, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, is that personal? <laughs> no, it's not personal. I know. I, I mean, like, you know, I spent like the last two months dry. I, I had a back injury. So I was like on some prescription meds for my lower back. So I was dry for two months. Um, but I'm, I, I smoke weed. I, I like smoking weed. Um, and I was up in, I was up in Vancouver, British Columbia, like right before this too, doing a, 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 a a piece for vice about sampling all the cannabis up there. So for two days, I was just getting stoned in Vancouver. Um, but yeah, that sounds like a really hard job. Oh, it was terrible. I'm so sorry. It so, yeah. It was really trying. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of, in your book too, is that how like upset fans were at you and your band. I, I didn't realize that was like a part of punk music. I just, yeah. um, because the more fame, like they want you to make to make music, but they don't want you to like make money off of it. it right. Seemed like, it, has that changed? Like, are they more accepting of you guys now? I Yeah, you know, I think that's past. I think a little bit of that is, like, really, like, uh, 
younger attitudes, you know, and I, and I get it because I've been that way with bands too, where like you find a band, you latch onto them and like they're, they're yours, they're your band and you don't want to see them become other people's bands, especially if those are the people who are like beating you up at school, you know? So like when you're coming from a punk scene, like many punks like myself, I got into punk rock because I was getting beat up all the time and punk rock seemed like a way to fight back. So then when like your favorite punk band becomes that jock at school who's beating you up's favorite band as well, you get pissed, right? Um, But, you know, with my band specifically too, coming from the DIY punk movement, you know, coming from uh, the activist movement um, and being like an anti-capitalist band, you know, obviously there's hypocrisy there when you start making money off of your art. But again, punk rock was something that taught me to always think for myself, to always question everything. And I've always tried to make decisions to the best of my ability. And at the same time, recognizing that there are certain economics involved in things, you know, and if somebody's charging money at the door, saying like, hey, that's my fair cut isn't about like, give me money. It's just about, well, somebody's taking the money, you know, like, and it should be fair and that artists should be paired for their paid for their work and that 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 it is valid work being a musician like societies need music name a society that's ever existed without music um it's you know artists deserve to be paid for their work absolutely and against me is like 10 years old now 12 20 what excuse me 20 what 20 years old i started doing against me in 1997 so this is like our 20th anniversary coming up i forget that you were so young I'm that- only 26 now, too, which is weird, right? <laughs> it's weird. It was wild, like, hearing you, like, turning down, like, half a million dollar, like, record deals. And I was like, oh, my God. Like, she's 24. Like, she's 25. <laughs> yeah. Like, I can't imagine dealing with these issues and being on tour and having to write new music. And It's stressful, you know? Like, yeah. it was like, you're, like, really thrown into this strange world you know where like you do have absurd amounts of money being thrown at you and these absurd offers being made that ultimately like will affect your life for years to come and at the same time so many people who are like around you and the handlers like treat you like a child so you're like existing in this weird like in-between world like that um and you just like it's a scary thing to navigate you know i think that with like no experience the band and you had so much like business acumen just to brand yourselves as like the hardest parting uh band you know (laughs) and like these these are that's very smart Uh uh-huh yeah maybe it was like for selfish reasons Well, no, I mean, you know, that was you like... You think I'm the, crazy? No, no, not at all. That's like the common denominator, as you realized. It was like, okay, what do the four of us as a band have in common? Well, we all like to drink, and we all like to party. So we're going to become known as the hardest, hardest partying band. And then, like, after a couple of years of that, you're like, goddamn, now everyone wants to buy you a shot everywhere you go, and I can't possibly do all these shots. Um, so it has its drawbacks, if you want to put it like that. You know? That's so funny. It was just like the setting and achieving of simple goals early on. Like, I want to write 10 songs and record them. I want to play one show. You kept like checking that off. Right. Well, that's success to me. That's that's always been the measure of success. It's never been like, oh, did we make money off of it? It's always like, did we accomplish what we set out to do? You, you set out to do a show, accomplished, amazing. That's success. Regardless of if anyone came, it just happened. Same with like putting out a record, you know? It doesn't matter how many records you sell. It's just like you made a record. That's the success to me. That's the bar set. This book, you know, like I wanted to write a book. I wrote a book. 
Who cares what happens afterwards? The success is that it exists for me. I agree. I think, though, that your fans who see the hardest parting rock fan in music, I think that's gone now. Is it? Cool. Yes. <laughs> um, uh, uh, the, the people who see this, like punk rocks are just like singing, like they're hard on, uh, on stage. They don't see like those business steps, though. They don't see that. Um, like you just see somebody like living one of your dreams. Right. You know, and then it's such a big example about you never know what someone else is like dealing with behind the scenes. Well, I I said earlier, um, uh, if if I would have known how many emails were involved with being in a band, I would have become a lawyer. Um, Yeah, there's a lot of uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Administrative work that goes into being in a band. that's like mind numbingly boring. That's part of it, too, though, especially as the front woman. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, you're you got to pay taxes. You gotta have like well, you the, gotta know some, what's going some on. Some people don't, right? yeah. But uh, it's a longer discussion. We do, uh, right? <laughs> I, I think too, like twenty years, like you being the front woman, like you've been able to hold the band against me together through other rotating musicians, right? Well, that was like always my philosophy behind it. You know, like my band wasn't one of those bands where like four people went into a room and picked up their instruments and the sound was born. You know, like I started this band as a bedroom project on my own with an acoustic guitar and a four track tape recorder. And then like after doing that, realized like, oh, it's more fun to play with your friends. You know, it's more fun to make music with other people. And but especially when I was younger and it was like, okay, nobody's making a living off this or whatever. If I want to keep it going, I got to really understand that if someone can't do it anymore, that that's just the way it is. And that can't deter me from wanting to continue to do it. I'll just have to look for other people to play with. And part of that was like the anarchist philosophy, too. Um, But just having that ability to be flexible and have the band grow and have it like, you know, shrink down if it needs to, too just as a means for survival. Um, but so that's, that's been the way it's been for my band, you know, and I've been lucky in that it's made it a better band, you know, like that anytime I felt like I've hit a wall of like, Oh, well, I I think that might all be all we can do musically. We might be peaking as a unit. Like there's been a change up where it's like, but now there's all these other possibilities because it's different players and people have different talents in different areas where they excel in. So it's really, it keeps it interesting. And I like your willingness to keep evolving as a band. You know, you have a record and it's great. We don't want a second one like that. Right. You know, we don't need to copy that. No. I mean, that's like, you know, that's selfish too of like, I, I need to be engaged in what I'm doing. You know, I'm not just like pumping out records under the name against me that all sound like against me. Like I want to like what I'm into. And in order to do that, like you have to be representative of where you're at in your life. You know, I can't make the same music I made as a 18 year old kid eating out of dumpsters that was homeless because I'm not, I'm just not that person anymore. I'm a different person. So I have to make music that's true to the person I am now, you know? Yeah. The majority of your fans, are they people who have followed you for 20 years or are they like new people coming up? Um, we're really lucky that like we have a really eclectic fan base. And a lot of that is because of the tours we've done over the years where like, you know, you go out and you do the warp tour and you get you get a couple fans from that. You go out and do a tour with the Foo Fighters, you get a couple fans from that. You go out and do a tour with Mastodon, you get a couple fans from that. And then punk rock also has this certain like always forever young element to it where there's always like new kids coming into it. So the crowd kind of remains has youth in it always you know um so and then you know opening it up too to knowing to to like lgbtq people knowing that it's like a safe space you know where like okay this is a band with a trans singer you know like that that opens up another element to it too so it's really like a diverse and cool audience yeah i can't imagine growing up and 
like hearing music that I liked and a great band and then ha- hearing a song that they sing called like True Trans Rebel Soul. Yeah. Like that would blow my mind. <laughs> you know? <laughs> Blows my mind to hear crowds singing it back. Yeah, really? for sure. But that was like another thing too that I really wanted to do with like our most recent record where like, you know, in talking about like writing dumb love songs, it's like there's so many dumb love songs out there that are just about some guy pining for some girl or some girl pining for some guy. And I think that there should be like, you know, all kinds of perspectives in that. I want I want to hear trans songs, like trans artists creating songs about mundane things like that. You know, like always relevant things like falling in love. I want to see like trans actors in action hero movies. I don't want it to always be about like this person who had the secret and came out as trans and then transitioned genders, you know, like that's been done. Like, let's make it, let's make it interesting, you know? Yeah. Every storyline on TV, but with a trans person can't be them coming out. Right. No, totally. Like, you know, I think they do more than just come out. Yes. (laughs) You tell me though. Um, I don't want to start rumors, but there is a big thing on social media about the Star Wars movie. Yeah. I got to go and visit Lucasfilm yesterday. Oh, really? I got to do a tour because of that pretty much. Really? So there was like a, a campaign around The Force Awakens because I like I'm a total Star Wars nerd and I bought a Kylo Ren mask and I had a lightsaber and I took a picture and put it on Instagram whatever and like this campaign popped up of people signing a petition to get me in the next Star Wars movie and it was like something like 25,000 signatures of people who signed it and so like you know they, they were People at Lucasfilm um, were really gracious about that. And they're like, yeah, come on down. See see, see the studio and, and do a tour. Be on the Star Wars show. Wow. I treated it like like an audition the whole time. I was like doing lines and acting. Like holding lightsabers. Like, calm down. <laughs> like, this is, you're just hanging out They're here. like, we think she's crazy. Yeah. <laughs> um, that's really cool. Yeah, it was epic. Oh, my God. So, so no role. <laughs> no, but they'll be making Star Wars movies until we're all dead. So I've got another chance or two. That's so funny. Um, this last thing about your music. Do you ever play it around the house, your own music? No. Uh, not at all? <laughs> Never, no. Would you tell me if it was true? I, I would totally admit to that, but I don't. Especially now with a kid. Like, my, my daughter is, like, the most brutal critic. Where I was, like, not too long ago working on a song in the other room, and she's, like, down the hallway, and she's like, that song is terrible. And I was just, like, crushed. <laughs> um, but, yeah, I don't, I, I don't. I mean, like, once a record is done, it's done. That's I'm, the, I'm moving on. That's the perfect ego check, having a kid. Yeah, it really is. Um, and then last thing before I let you go, um, tell, can, can I ask why you blacked out your entire arm, the tattoos? Yeah, you know, um, it was an accident, actually. I, I, I like The whole thing? The, the arm specifically. Uh, like, obviously, I'm, I'm really into tattoos, and I've been, I've been doing like a, a full body suit, so I'm pretty much tattooed head oh, wow. to toe at this point. But um, with my arm specifically, I went to see uh, an artist in the Bay Area that specifically, you know, works in black work design. And they're the type of artist who doesn't really want you to tell them what to do. They just, you know, want a general idea and you either like their work or you don't. So I told them beforehand, I was like, you know, I don't like this tattoo that I have here and I don't like this tattoo I have here, but I want to keep this and I want to keep this and I want to keep this. So I was on my way into the tattoo appointment and I'd flown across the country for it and I saw a suicide jumper on my way into the tattoo appointment. It was like straight out of a movie where there was someone on top of the building trying to talk them down and a crowd down below And so I went into that tattoo appointment just, like, so shaken, you know, just, like, so rattled and was obviously not on the same page as everyone else in the shop. So I, like, you know, sat down in the chair and just, like, wasn't really paying attention and ended up leaving with, like, half of a black arm where I was like, fuck, he just totally went over tattoos that I wanted to keep. And I just, what am I going to do? So I ended up having to go to a friend of mine who's also a tattoo artist. And I was like, can you just finish it off? Can you black it out? 
Um, and, and that's kind of the story behind it. That's wild. Yeah. And now that that's passed, do you like it? I do. Yeah. I mean, it's amazing. Like, again, like I had like a tattoo of a Virgin Mary here and I'm not religious in any way. I don't believe in God. Um, so like looking at it was always like, why the fuck did I get that? You know? Um, and it's amazing how much like, you know, your arms like are so much a part of your identity. You see them all the time. So to have the perspective change of like, not, not having to look at something that makes you unhappy all the time was really like, it changed my being, you know? Wow. You mentioned religion. And in the book, when you were early on playing in church, you described playing as like a spiritual experience. Right. Um, so just like in terms of spirituality, do you still feel like that when you play? I do, yeah. I mean, it's it's transcendent. You know, it takes you to another place. At least the best shows, you know, the good shows do, where it's like out-of-body experiences. I don't have to think about what I'm doing. It's all like, it's all just there and it happens naturally. And I mean, not to quote Eminem, but you lose yourself in the music, the moment you own it. Um, but I mean, that's like, you know, if, 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 if I have a church, it's on stage, you know? Wow. Um, I think that's such a great place to leave it on. Um, thank you so much for this. My pleasure. Yeah. Absolutely. If Good you want to, yeah, great. <laughs> if you want to get the book, that's out, even the album out. If they want to connect with you, send them to your Twitter. Yeah. I use Twitter like text messaging. So. Oh my God. And, and what is the Twitter name again? At Laura Jane Grace. At Laura Jane Grace. And I'm at Jeff Masters one. And to everybody who's leaving comments on iTunes, thank you for that. Keep that up, please. <laughs> we'll see you next week. Bye. From executive producers Maria Menounos, Kevin Undergaro, Phil Svitek, and the entire AfterBuzz TV staff, we would like to thank you for listening to the AfterBuzz TV network. To watch or listen to other After shows and post comments or questions, be sure to visit AfterBuzzTV.com. I'm Sir Richard Wentworth, and this has been a presentation of AfterBuzz TV. The views expressed herein are those of the hosts only and do not necessarily reflect the views of AfterBuzz TV or its owners or principals. 